0: Nehemiah is a great guy. I probably understand him or get feel close to him. Similar to Peter, um, which JC, when you were singing that song, I don't know, he probably took off, but that song, that new song we sang today, you know, of all the miracles that he's seen. I kind of, I pictured Peter, no, I sang it too, but I pictured Peter singing that, you know? And so the next time we sing that, imagine Peter singing that out, saying, I, I can't believe what I'm witnessing. I can't believe what I'm a part of, you know? And many of us have had those same experiences in our lives too. It just is too good to not believe, you know? Um, and so I identify with Peter a lot because I'm just, I'm in awe of being alongside Christ in the ministry that he's called me. He's counted me faithful and put me in the ministry. And I, I count that as an honor and a blessing. And I take it very seriously. Um, and this Nehemiah guy, he's another guy um, that I understand. He doesn't have necessarily everything he needs to, he's got talents, he's got gifts, he's the king's cupbearer, but he's going to lead a group back that's different from the first two groups. Now, we are on our way back to Babylon. The first group was 50,000. The second group was 2,000. And Nehemiah brings a much smaller group back with a much more focused purpose. Um, and, and, and even covert in some ways, just quietly moves in and does what God calls him to do until it's time to expose what he's there to do. He's quiet about it. He's thoughtful about it. He's a businessman. He's someone who um, loves the Lord with all of his heart is devoted to him and, and uh, is rooting for the guys back home, but is still the cupbearer in the King's house. And so in verse one, the words of Nehemiah, the son of um, Hekeliah, um, it, it came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, As I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And here's what they said to me. The survivors who are left from captivity in the province are in in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. And so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before God, before the God of heaven. He, uh, he's in the Shushan Citadel. Um, he is there serving the king. Cupbearer is more than just a, a waiter. He would be the, the food taster. He'd be the, the poison finder, basically. Very important role. Very trusted role in the king's household. And so he would bring these things to the king in um, a high up position. Sometimes, even in, in, in a, a lot of ways, they would be an advisor to the king because he was so trusted and accomplished and equipped. I mean, he was just, you got to be one of those guys or just those people out there. And Nehemiah was one of those guys, very gifted in administration and in service and um, all the things you'd need for this role, uh, focus dedication, faithfulness, every single day. I'm the guy that makes sure, you know, I'm the guy that makes sure all the food prep is done right in the King's house. I'm the guy that makes sure everything. I mean, he is, he's that guy, you know? And so he hears about these guys coming back from Jerusalem. He hasn't been there himself, but you know that's got to be on his mind and on his heart. How are things going, you know? And in your mind, not knowing the news, you just assume everything's going great. Oh, I bet it's, I bet they're probably about 20 feet tall now. You know, I bet they got the walls up about that far, or maybe they're done by now. I mean, maybe they really got at it and you know how your mind can go. I bet they're great. And so we asked these guys, how is it going? And he doesn't get the answer he expects or hopes. The guys are honest. Now, I don't know why these guys are coming back. Are they coming back for a visit or are they actually done with it? Are they done with the ministry? Like, it's just not going anywhere, and they're coming back. We really don't know exactly why they came back. Maybe they're just traveling or caravan or whatever, or they've decided, you know what, it's better better back in Babylon. This is not going like I thought, okay? So um, he hears the words that he doesn't want to hear. He says, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. So not only are they worried and concerned or Not doing well. They're they're of reproach. Um, They're of reproach. They they they're being chastised by all the countries around them. They're not moving forward like they hoped. They're um, they're stuck. They're bogged down. The construction process has 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 ceased. So, when he hears these words, this moves him to action. As he hears this news. It moves him to want to do something about it, but he doesn't know what to do. He's not been sent. He's not been called. He just gets this burden on his heart, and that is how the ministry starts. The ministry starts with that burden. You hear of a problem, and you hear of something going wrong, and you feel this sense like, I need to do something about this, but I don't know what, and so you begin to pray about it with God. That's always the first move with the Lord, it seems like. All the examples we have in the Old Testament or, and in the New Testament, these guys that have burdens and then they get this sense that they need to do something and they pray. But they don't, here's what they don't do. They don't look at, sit around and say, well, the church ought to be doing this and the church ought to be doing that. That's armchair quarterbacking. And that drives me crazy as a pastor. When I hear people say that and they're sitting down, they're not doing anything and they feel like they should be serving, but they don't, you know, and that they don't do anything. They just complain about what's not being done. That's not Nehemiah. That's not our guy. That's not the man God uses. That's not the woman God uses. When you see a burden, when you sense a need, when you feel like there's something that has to be done, guess what? Guess what? You're the one. It's your call. It's your sense. It's your thing. You're the one that noticed it. You can't worry about what everybody else isn't noticing. You're the one that noticed it. So do it. Go do it. Pray, seek, Wait on the Lord and, and go do what God's called you to do. Don't wait for all the permission or anything like he does. He goes about it a different way because he's an, he's an employed servant here in the king's household. But then go and do. So he begins to pray and he begins to weep and he begins to mourn and he fasts. And now fasting is a, happens a lot, but these guys, Nehemiah and Ezra and all these folks, they really fasted. And that's an afflicting of the soul. That's what takes place. You're, you're saying, I'm going to deny myself right now. I'm going to afflict myself. I'm going to, we don't do sackcloth and ashes and tear our clothes and do all that. But we have those, uh, we have those times where we afflict our soul. We take the time to I'm, not going to, I'm not going to meet my needs today. I want to seek the Lord during this time. I want to seek what God wants me to do. You know, And Nehemiah begins to do that. He begins to seek the Lord. And so as he prays, as he weeps, as he mourns, he's also then moved to pray. that's the next section here. He begins to pray. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. That's his first part of the prayer. It's the greeting. It's the hello. It's the who I'm talking to. And it's very important that when we start our prayers, we start them off properly. We can start our prayers off with, hey, big guy upstairs, or hey, you know, whatever. And that shows your relationship with the Lord. If that's all you see him as, is the big man upstairs, that shows the shallowness of your relationship with God. Very distant, very not so sure. Hey, hey, stranger, you may as well say. And that's not Nehemiah's prayer. First of all, Lord, you're Lord of my life. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I know it's a tetragrammaton, it's the name. I know your name. You're my God. I'm responsible for you. I'm responsible to worship you, to respect you, to honor you. That's who you are in my life. You bring covenants into our lives, and we break your covenants all the time. And he recognizes that about his God. You're full of mercy and love for those who observe your commandments, but for those who don't, you don't. There's a, a chastisement that takes place that comes from you. I understand that. You're a father. You love obedience. You love it when we hear you, when we love you so much that we do what you've asked us to do. And don't be rebellious against you, you know? I recognize that, Nehemiah says. And so I'm coming before you, confessing my sins, my rebellion, our rebellion, our nation's rebellion against you. And I pray that you'd forgive us, and I pray that you hear my prayer of return, is what he's saying. We're returning to you. I'm returning to you. I need, we need you. We can't do this without you I can't do this without you. This has got to be you. He's not waiting on people. He's calling upon his God. This is the equivalent of, Here I am, Lord, send me. He's making himself available. And that's the first step. You hear that burden, you feel that burden, you begin to weep and mourn over it, and then you realize it's me, and you make yourself available for the ministry. And that's a big deal. He's got a good gig. There's a reason he hasn't gone back with the first two waves. Now, maybe he was so valuable or maybe he felt his ministry was more important there in front of the king. I don't know why he hasn't gone back yet or what's kept him up until this point. I know it's God's timing. I know that Ezra can't be looking sideways at Nehemiah for not coming back with him because these guys are going to work hand in hand. That's a very big danger for us as Christians to look Say, I'm going back. Why aren't you going back? For whatever reason, God holds Nehemiah back at this point for such a time as this. Now, I know we apply that to Esther most of the time, but that's for everybody. There are phases. There are waves of ministry that God wants to do. We don't all just jump and do them at the same time. Things happen over time. I mean, we have, from from Christ until today, we've had men and women of God be raised up by God, used by God, die, get planted, go to heaven. And others have have overlapped and been raised up by God, and it's been going on and going on. The the only common denominator for all these people is that God is at work, and God is the minister, and He raises up a servant, and He uses a servant, and He sets a servant down, and He raises a servant, and He and on and on it goes. And some people get raised up here, but others don't. We don't all pop up, you know. It's not a it's not a one time crop. It's a constant thing. I, I learned something about forest fires recently we got we get these CDs for the kids and they're um, they're Christian CDs about these families and they're always going on adventures and stuff and I learned something about forest fires and how a forest fire can go through and and take out that low growth and all that all that trash that's on the forest floor that's a good thing that lightning strikes at every once in a while and sometimes it wipes out the entire population of all the fir trees and and, and as people we look and we go oh Oh, what a great loss. But the next thing that happens is all that ash turns into the beautiful nutrients that the, the aspen trees need. And the aspen trees grow up through that ash. And they are fast growing, super fast growing tree that grow up and cover and spread out and give these guys the shade they need for the next group to grow up, for those new fir trees to grow up. And when the fir trees grow up through the aspens, the fir trees block out the sun, and the ash trees die. And it's this constant cycle. And I couldn't help but think about it. that. It's just, just how God works. Not just like that. It's not the only example. What a beautiful example. Different purposes, different roles, different timing of all this. And Nehemiah is going right when he's supposed to go. He's feeling the burden now. He didn't feel it with Ezra. He didn't feel it was Zerubbabel. I don't know how old he is. I'm just making some generalizations here, but he's going now. And so he says, God, please hear my prayer of confession. I got to get right with God before I ask you for anything or talk to you about anything else. I have to recognize who you are, who I am. And now I can talk to you about my petition. Both my father's house, And I have sinned, not just them, but I have. And the way that reads is he's not just saying it, you know, like as a, oh, and, and I'm a wicked sinner too. He genuinely agrees with that. In his own mind, maybe he's not as bad as the guys that killed all the prophets and killed everybody and was so rebellious against God that they worshiped other gods. But he understands even as a worshiper of God, I still have to offer sacrifices daily for my sins. Because I'm still just a man who falls short. Although I love God and I want to obey him, often oftentimes I don't. But he doesn't make that comparison, I'm not as bad as they are kind of thing. When he, when he prays this, both my father's house and I have sinned, he just lumps himself in there. I'm not just saying them, I'm saying we. We have acted very... Co- corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes nor the ordinances which you commanded your servants Moses or your servant Moses. Remember I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are uh, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out into the farthest parts of heaven, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. I remember your promises of scattering. But Also, Nehemiah says, you left us with hope. You gave us a promise after that that said, if we return to you, you'd return to us. That's what I want. We're returning to you. I'm calling out to you from captivity to let me go back and to call me back and to let us do what we need to do. We're returning to you, not just in Physical presence on the land, that's easy. To get a caravan together and walk over there, well, that's what's happened so far. But to go back spiritually, to turn your heart and your mind back over to God and to His obedience and His command over your life, and maybe some people need to do that this morning. Maybe there needs to be a refreshing in your life, a reviving of, I'm stuck. The building has ceased in my life. I have become content and complacent and I'm just sitting here and the walls are about four foot high in my life. They're not where they need to be. I've left the gates open in my life. There's no protection. My family is vulnerable. I'm vulnerable. I'm feeling defeated everywhere I go. And this day is for you. Because this is the day that you mourn and you fast over where you are and ask God to take you and help you be who he's always called you to be and to pick up the trowel to begin to place bricks on that wall again, begin to close up those gates, finish up those holes in the wall and to stop being so, well, vulnerable to the world, vulnerable to the enemy. God has given us everything we need. He's our fortress, but only if we're in him. He's our protector, he's our guide, but only if we let him. And if we've moved out on our own and so we've to do things on our own, It's inevitable that we find ourselves feeling defeated and wonder where God is, and he's never, ever left. He's always been there. We return to him. He never leaves us or forsakes us. So we ask God, I remember your prayer. I remember our part, and I pray that you'd remember your part. Now, these are your servants. Now, look how many times he says this, servants. We're not your servants. People, we're not your buddies, we're not your children, although those are all true. Jesus calls us friends. He does call us sons and daughters of his mother, but that's not his place in this prayer. He understands God, you don't owe me anything as a father, you don't owe me anything as a friend, you don't owe me anything. That's not what I'm coming to you for right now. That's not how I'm praying. I'm praying as a servant of yours, as someone who is a servant is submitted to the will of their master. Tell me what to do. It's a big, big statement. We're your servants. We're your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. In other words, I don't need any more redeeming. I just need to know how I can serve you now after my redemption. Oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Who's this man? For I was the King's cupbearer. he says. He's got an idea. It's, 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 it's percolating in him. I got to say something. I've got to do something, but I want you to make you give the opportunity. This is a worldly guy. This is a guy that doesn't worship. This is not, this is my secular boss, you know, this is someone who may not understand this call on my heart. I've had this moment. I've had this moment twice in my life. I've had to go up to my boss. I was working at Pella Windows at the time, back in Omaha, way back in the day, way back in the day. The service tech takes a long time to train us. It take, it's a big investment in training us up. It takes years for us to figure out how to have customer service because you don't know how to do that until you do it and how to do it right, and how to meet people's needs, and how to go into a situation and re-engineer the whatever it is wrong with the windows and reset them or redo whatever you have to do and fix all the things that are going. It's not like a mechanic, but it's a little bit like a mechanic, except you're much cleaner at the end of the day. You know. And so t- I understood that. We're going to move you out of production, and we're going to make you a service tech, and we're going to give you your own truck that you can take home every night We're going to double your pay. We're going to give you all the benefits. I mean, it was a big deal. And I don't know how long I did it, maybe five years. And probably on the fifth year, I was actually a value to the company, you know? And I get this call from God at a men's conference in Indiana. Immediately leave your nets and follow me. (laughs) I get home from the men's conference and I show up at home after driving all night. I get home around three o'clock in the morning. Jenny's in bed and I wake her up. I said, I couldn't wait. I said, I got to quit tomorrow. (laughs) She doesn't do that. She goes, okay. (laughs) Uh, That woman, I tell you what. Okay. (laughs) I don't know what she thought about the rest of the night, but that's all. I, I went to bed and I woke up in the morning and I walk into Joel's office, Joel Gunther, my boss. And I looked at him and I said, Joel, I said, I really feel like I'm called by God to start a church down, well, I don't know where, but somewhere. And I, he gave me three scriptures at this point. Now, he doesn't he doesn't go to church, you know? And I said, God, I, I just really need to do this. And, or, Joel, I really need to do this. God's called me. And he sits back in his chair. I mean, he's the cigar-smoking, bald, big guy, just looking at me like this, you know? Great guy, super guy, really was. Had a real heart for people, you know. But I don't know if he was a believer or not. I don't know. Maybe he was. He looked at me and goes, well, can't argue with God. (laughs) I said, oh, boy, I didn't think it was going to go like that. Just reached across the desk, stood up, shook my hand. And that's the thing I learned also, and I've been neglecting it. Whenever someone shakes your hand, you stand up. I learned that from him. He stood up, shook my hand. You never shake someone's hand while you're sitting down. Stand up and shake their hand. And I probably don't do that all the time, but I should. That was my moment. I've had a couple other, or one other's like that, one other other time like that. But so understanding. You just knew that God was in it. I mean, it just went just like that. You just knew. Wow. I mean, it's undeniable that the Lord is in this. That's what Nehemiah is asking for. God, I want this to be undeniable. I don't want to beg. I don't want to whine. I don't want it to be of my own. I don't want to talk anybody into it. I just want to walk step-by-step with you. He says, so please give me mercy, grant me mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Now, they're friends. You'll see that here in chapter 2. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, so four months later, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, When wine was before him that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are, since you're not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. Now, normally that's a very dangerous place to be in. If you're the cupbearer, understand this. Now they're friends, so that's not what's happening here. But if you were the cupbearer, and you were emotionally unstable in front of your king, whom you're supposed to be checking for poison, and he sees you spazzing out or just not being like you normally are, that's worrisome to you as a king. Why is my poison tester unsettled? Why are you sad? (laughs) I don't want to die today, you know? Now, that's not what's happening although that could have happened to any other wine tester out there, he's genuinely understanding. He goes, you've never been like this before. This is, your, this is not sickness. This isn't like you've got a tummy ache or something. You're broken, Nehemiah. What is this? This is sorrow of heart. Wise king. First moment of mercy that God has given to Nehemiah. There's a wise king who sees this sorrow of heart, recognizes it. Nehemiah doesn't have to do anything. The conversation is being brought up by King Artaxerxes himself. So I became dreadfully afraid. And I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates burned with fire? Kind of blurts it out, you know. Doesn't know what to say, just says it. Super honest. Just honest. That's his honest heart. I can't be quiet. This is what I've asked for. Why wouldn't I be sad? My whole city's destroyed. And the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And we don't know what that prayer was. We know the preparation prayer has taken place, but this is an in the moment prayer. And I don't know if you've ever had those before, but they're quick, they're fast. And boy, they come from the heart, don't they? It's like, God help. And then you start talking again, you know? Please work here. The opportunity has been given to Nehemiah now. He's received the call. He's prayed. He feels the personal responsibility to answer that call. And now we ask for an opportunity for him to go do what God's called him to do. He waits. So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it. That's a big ask. I'm asking you to let me go and let me rebuild a city. That's a big task. That's going to take a long time. And here's how we see. And here's what we know that Nehemiah and this guy are friends. The king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And when will you return? If you don't care about this guy, and you got cupbearers in line, second, third string cupbearers out there. You don't care what he's coming back. In fact, you don't expect him to come back. But he's asking him, when are you going to be back, Nehemiah? It means something to him. There's some heart there. There's some relationship there. And I want to focus on that a little bit this morning because my relationship with Joel was long. It was five years of me going, sorry, I blew it again. I missed that appointment or I didn't know what to do or I ordered the wrong part. I mean, there have been times, you got to understand this. If you're a glass person and you've got a tempered piece, you don't care, but you're going to have to listen to this because this is my boss who had to deal with me. You got tempered glass. There's a difference between just regular DS strength glass and tempered glass. Tempered glass is the stuff that when you tap the edge of it, it goes, you know, like that right? And that's in every window that's below 18 inches to the ground. You have to have tempered glass. It's code. So all your patio doors have tempered glass on them. So you don't want to touch the edge, right? So you can see where I'm going with this. So this lady's got this shattered piece of glass. I show up, I get rid of all the glass I put a piece of plywood in because you've got to order it in. So you order the piece of glass in and you're holding it with suction cups and you're walking and you're walking and just the slightest dink. And all of a sudden you're holding two suction cups by yourself and the glass is all over the ground and your homeowner's looking at you going. <laughs> like I'll be back, you know, kind of thing. It's gonna be another week and a half with the stupid plywood in your door. I'm so sorry. You know. Hey Joel, yeah. I <laughs> gotta order more glass. I, I tapped it. Oh okay. Get it ordered. Building that relationship with them over time, over five years of being honest with them up front, owning my mistakes. Asking for forgiveness, coming to that place of, I am sorry, and being a good employee. I'm always on time, if not early. Always early. If you're not 10 minutes early, you're late. Always. Staying as long as I needed to stay. Being the Christian I needed to be in front of this guy. Now, not always successful, but for the most part, building that witness. So when the moment comes and I'm standing across from him, I say, God has called me into the ministry. It's obvious to him. Of course He has. that's easy for him to let me go. And you could see that here with Nehemiah. People are watching us all the time. I don't, have, I don't have time to blow my witness. I don't want to start from scratch again. I don't want to lose my temper and have to figure out how to begin ministry all over again. I got to be careful about how I walk and how I let my emotions get the better of me or not get the better of me or whatever it is. And to stay even and walking with God. So that when these moments come up, Nehemiah has been pre- being prepared for this for years. To the point where his king says, yeah, of course you can go. When are you going to come back, Nehemiah? I don't know, he says. Now this moment right here is the beginning of that clock we talked about of Daniel 9. It's March 14th, 45, 445 BC. And the prophecy in Daniel is, in, I don't have time to read it all today, but it's in Daniel 9. Verse 25, 70 weeks, 70 weeks of years are determined for the nation of Israel. From the going forth of the command to rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince come is going to be, well, seven weeks and 62 weeks. So it's a 69 weeks of years, 69 weeks of years it's going to be. On a Babylonian calendar, that's 173,880 days. And from this day right here, 173,880 days later, on April 6, 32 AD, Jesus comes in on the donkey, fulfilling that prophecy. This is the clock. This is the moment. This is the start. This one right here. Go build. Now, we've got a final 70th 70th week of years for the nation of Israel. There's been a pause between 69 and 70. Some people don't like that, but that's just the way it is. They're not continuous, They're not consecutive. The Messiah came, and like we read just last Wednesday, I have left you. You have ignored me. You have, you have not accepted me as your Messiah, Jesus says, and I have now left your house desolate to you because he's gone to the church now, to the Gentiles, to see if they'll come to know him. And they do, and we do, and that's why we sit here. We're the wild olive branch being grafted into the natural olive root, which is Israel. But as Paul warns, Don't get so excited about that, thinking that you're the new replacement for Israel because there is a 70th week waiting for them, a final opportunity for them to accept the Lord. And just like we were grafted in, they can be grafted back into, and anyone that believes on Jesus can be brought back into that rootstock again. That 70th week of Daniel that's that's been prophesied about, that final week for Israel is chapters 6 through 19 in the book of Revelation. We'll see that's the great tribulation. It's not for us. It's not for the church. It's for the nation of Israel to see the Messiah, to hear the gospel one more time before eternity kicks in. For there is no more opportunity. The age of grace is over at that point after that chapter 19. It's done. Judgment begins in chapter 20 at the great white throne. So here's the clock. It kicks off. When are you going to be back? And so it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, as long as I have your attention, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through until I come to Judah and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timbers to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple uh, for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me, according to the good hand of my God upon me. He's a builder. He's got a plan. I'm going to go back. I'm going to need materials. The other guys are like, can we go? Sure, you can go. And here's some stuff because you're going to need stuff to build. Ezra's a priest. Oh, yeah. I'm going to need stuff. Thanks for thinking of that, king. That came from the worldly side of things. Nehemiah, he's a Christian. and He's a builder. He knows. I'm going to need a lot of wood. I'm going to need a lot of logs. And I need him to come from your forest. We're a reproach. In other words, everybody around us is not friendly. So I need your forest because they're not going to give it to us, or they're going to give us the weak stuff or the bad stuff. I need your for us, King. You got it, Nehemiah. He's thinking it through. It's going to be red tape. There's going to be codes. There's going to be whatever. I need you to bypass all of that, King. I need letters. I need letters to get by all these guys so I can get this job done. He's thinking. I like it. And the king granted them to me, according to the good hand of my God upon me. Gives God credit for moving upon the king's heart. Does not give the king necessarily the credit. Friends, maybe, boss, great boss, whatever. But he gives God the credit for this moving. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now these guys have got a lot of letters by now, haven't they? Zerubbabel and Ezra, everybody's got letters for these guys. Everybody seems to keep forgetting. Who's in charge of this bill? That God is doing it. And he keeps getting these letters from these kings saying, Leave them alone, leave them alone, leave them alone. And they don't leave them alone. And anytime God wants to do something great or move, do an awesome work, just like he raises up servants, like we talked about, he raises up Nehemiah, Ezra, Satan always raises up opposition. Always expect it. Plan for it. Never be surprised by that. Yesterday I married off my daughter. And a beautiful family is now started, a separate family from ours. Mr. and Mrs. Hunter Warner, you know, Warner. I'll get used to that, I guess, after a while. Great family, beautiful family, strong, strong believers, strong family. I mean, they had grandmas and grandpas from California, Utah, fly in and sat in that heat yesterday. And they did it, you know, strong family, wonderful family. But I know that as this beautiful new Christian God-loving, Jesus-following family has begun. I know there are plans for them in my enemy's camp and their enemy's camp to thwart this, to divide this, to break this up. And that's my prayer for them. And that's what they need to know to recognize they are not their enemies. Satan wants to do that. Their problems, their arguments only get as big as they let them get. And that's anybody here in this room Your marriage problems only get as big as you let them get. That's up to you whether you yield or ask for forgiveness or cover over it just because it's love. Or who cares? It's a dumb thing. Absolutely. Do whatever you want to do. I think that's a great idea. My idea was better, but whatever, you know. You don't have to say that out loud. Don't say that out loud. Your marriage problems only get as big as you let them get. And understand where they come from. They come from our flesh and they come from Satan stirring our flesh. So he gets this wonderful permission to go. God has let him go. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. He didn't have to ask for that. He got it. When Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, And they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Those are our two enemies. Those are our two guys. A third one gets added at the end of this, but those are our two main players. They hear about it and they are opposed to the work of God. They do not want it to happen. So, Nehemiah says, I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates, which were burned with fire. This is a site survey, but it's very interesting. He's doing this at night. Probably full moon is my guess. He's looking at everything and he's just riding his horse around I love this scene. I love this scene. He's got a few guys with him. He doesn't need everybody. He doesn't need a bunch of camels. He doesn't need a lot of pomp and circumstance. He just gets up and he's got a job to do. And he's looking it over. And he's seeing the walls. Okay, we're gonna need probably ten ton there. Look over there at the gates. Yeah, we need at least twenty inches across log for that, if not more. And we're gonna need iron. We're gonna need some. We're gonna need some metal. He's doing it. He's making a list. And he's doing that uh, planning stages. He does it quietly. I didn't tell anybody about what God had put in my heart to do, to, Jer- to do at Jerusalem. Just me. And he goes out and he begins to do this. And then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall then they turned back and entered the valley gates uh, and so returned. So he goes all the way around the city to see everything he's going to need to do. And he's doing the calculations in his head. We need a lot of bricks. We need a lot of mortar. We need a lot of guys. It's going to be a big deal. And that's important. It's important to count the cost of the ministry. Now, he's not counting the cost to see whether he's going to do it or not. He's, hmm, okay. Okay, he doesn't go into it and say, come on, everybody, let's have a work day on the wall. You know, oh, we can get very far today. Let's have a work week, a work month. We're going to need a work year here with this. He understands. It's a long haul. It's a big commitment for everybody. He's getting that going in his mind. There's a lot of materials we're going to need. So I returned and the officials did not know where I had gone Or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, the other workers or the others who did the work. I didn't let anybody know what I'm planning. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, not you. Very important. That was another boss I had to learn from. Boyles. I worked at Boyles, parts manager. I know nothing about cars. That's why your cars probably don't run anymore because you brought in the boils and I was your parts manager. But there I was in the position, looking up parts, looking at all those schematics where they explode the view. And I'm like, look at the mechanic. I turned the screen. Is that, you want number 86? What's a sensor? You know, <laughs> is that before the catalytic converter or after? That's yeah, pre-catalytic, pre-before catalytic converter. Didn't know what I was doing. So I go up to Dave Boyle's. And I had to leave my nets again because I had. It was time. I, I got jobs now and then throughout this ministry because sometimes God provides, and sometimes I need to get, you know, help and do my part. You know, you got to do. You can't always take. You got to. You got to give. And so there's opportunities there. So it was one of those times where I had to go across the street and, and tell him that I I've, I got to go do this and uh, I got to leave, um, and he says, that's good. Um, we are in great distress. It's, it's us. I'm with you. I'm, I'm a part of it. You know, uh, It's not you're in great distress. I'm here. I've come to help. Um, you know how Jerusalem lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach that reproach word, I, you really need to look that up and get the sense of it. I'll give you, I'll do my best. But reproach is just this constant, nobody wants you to do well. Nobody's rooting for you. There's always this folded arm, side eye look from everybody around you. Um, you're, a, you're not a success. You are, uh, you're a failure in what you're doing. There is this belittling that takes, I mean, there's a lot going on with this word reproach. And they've been feeling this for a long time. To the point where they walk around Jerusalem and they see the broken wall that should have been done. Any of you guys identify with that? With projects in your home, you know, you walk by the kitchen. Yeah, I really got to get back to working on that kitchen, don't I? I really want to eat Doritos and watch TV right now because it's been a long day. You know, this is way more than that. This is walking around with your head down, knowing I know those walls should be higher, but I don't have it in me anymore. I don't have a drive. I don't have. I'm tired. I hear that a lot nowadays. I hear, it. tell me you don't hear that everywhere you go. I'm tired. I'm just tired. Why are you tired? I don't know. I got a lot going on. I didn't sleep well last night. I got things on my mind. There's, I get it. I know that. And a lot of you older guys, You got that low T going on right now. It's it's not going well for you. Like, I'm slowing down and I'm getting fatter. I don't know what's happening. I I do. i tell you exactly what's happening. You're getting older and you're losing a little of your steam. And that's okay. It's time for the young guys to pick up that pace. But the tired thing. Tired can come in lots of different ways and can be caused by a lot of different things. And one of them, in this case, is just a defeated, I don't even know where to start. Which brick do I pick up first? There is so much to do. The task is so overwhelming. I'm so tired of their looks. I'm so tired of the pressure. I'm so tired of everything. I just, I'm surviving right now. You know, I see that in these guys. And so does Nehemiah. And it takes sometimes a fresh work of the Holy Spirit. And I believe Nehemiah is a work of the Holy Spirit, or at least a picture of the Holy Spirit in this. That comes into these believers life and says, let's go. We've got this. And all of a sudden, you've got this vision, this plan, and this strength. that doesn't come from yourself. It comes from the Lord. It's from God. And you're like, this is it. There are projects that I want to do. I, this new concrete report, I, we've been thinking about this for years. And last Sunday, I look, at, I look at David Spencer. I said, do you think you can, you know, you're not going anywhere now that Africa's closed. You can't go to Africa anymore. And you're out of retirement. I said, you want to, you want to pour a quick six-foot cement so, That's how this started over here. Let's get a sidewalk out there. Hmm. David's like, yeah, let's get a sidewalk out there. And then we found out the grade was wrong on the entire parking lot. We just had to bring it down a little bit. Well, that's a lot. We just put down all that asphalt. So you got to scrape all that asphalt out and pile it up because you don't want to lose it, which we kind of lost. I can see the blend out there. There's nothing you can do about that. Pile it off, got the grade right, got everything sloping so that when we do finally get this thing all paved... This two-day job, or what I thought what I was asking for, right before my daughter's wedding, I'm trying to absolve myself of a little guilt here also because I didn't show up for any of the work. Because I thought, well, David will get it done. I don't have to worry about that. Well, it ended up being like seven or eight guys down here with so much heavy equipment down here, you'd never seen so much heavy equipment. Tractors and skid loaders and dump trucks and all this stuff. And I'm like, i got to go to Mazingo because I've got guests in town and we're going to the beach today got to be a big deal. The whole point of that conversation was all of a sudden, we've been waiting years for this, and we all just kind of got a, all those guys, got just kind of a, let's go do it. And they got it done. And here we are with this pad out here for drop-offs and everything, and, and, and all, it's just one of those ways. It's been years, but all of a sudden, just, this is it. This is the time. And it all got done, you know? We need that in our lives. I'm tired. Tell God you're tired. Say, God, I need a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. And I don't mean like, oh, God, give me a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm going to wait here. I need to be dumped into. I'm dry. There's nothing left. I'm on empty. I don't know why. I'm sure it's my fault. I pray that all the time. God, I know it's not you. I know it's me. I acknowledge that. But I don't know how to fix this. Only you can fix this. Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. Give me vision. Move me. He does. And he does. So this Holy Spirit, Nehemiah, comes into these guys. He goes, guys, come, let's build. I mean, I just got to show up. I don't have to plan it out. I don't have to organize it. I don't have to get it all together and find the bedir-. Nehemiah said, no, I did all the calculations last night. We're all ready. I got some guys with me. Great guys. We're fired up. Let's go. Meet us out here tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. We're going to get at this. All right. I can do that. I don't have to be in charge. All i have to do this lift. Yes. Just get out there. Let's get it done. I love this. It's such the church. He gets this vision and they just run with it, you know? And I told them of the hand of my God, he gives them a testimony, which had been good upon me. And also of the King's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. And they set their hands to this good work. We'll be there. But when Sam at the Hornite and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and now we got this new guy, Geshem, I'm the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? And I know you're not supposed to say shut up, but man, that's a time to say, just shut up. And Nehemiah is that kind of guy. He's a businessman. He's a real estate guy. You know, I know some guys like that. (laughs) He looks at them. He just says like, yeah, we're going to build anyway. laugh all you want, you guys over there. We're going to do this thing. So I answered them and I said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore we, his servants will arise and build, but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. That's another way of saying, shut up, you know, bold, bold. So we're going to build. Cause you can see him. He's got this group of farmers guys that have all quit. It's like, come on, we're going to show up tomorrow and we're going to build. I got a plan. We're going to do this. Yeah, we'll be there. And sure enough, the enemy shows up and says, you guys can't do doing the same thing. They've always done to these guys for the years, but they haven't been laboring. And you can almost see their eyes begin to drop. And Nehemiah recognizes and says, no, we're going to build. And you have no right here. Get out of here. We're doing this. And the guy's going, all right, some boldness. Someone's speaking up. They're loud. They're obnoxious Thank you. You've been saying what's on our hearts for so long. We love you. This is great, Nehemiah. What a great leader. What an amazing leader, you know? I appreciate him and I understand him. And I want to be more like him, you know? I pray all of us want that. To be a part of whatever God wants us to be a part of. As much as God lets us be a part of it. And to do it wholeheartedly. Some of these guys are going to carry buckets. That's it. Some of these guys are going to have a trowel and a sword on one hand and a trowel on the other, and they're going to build. Other guys are going to stand guard and they're going to watch and they're going to also, they're going to take turns doing different things. A lot of different things are going over here, but here's what you don't hear. How come that's all I get to do? How come that's, I mean, I got big, I, waiting for you to recognize my greatness. You know, kind of like, just do it. Just do what God's called us to do. Let Nehemiah be Nehemiah. Let the guys with the swords be the guy with the swords, be the guy with the trials, the guy with the trials, And it's okay that I wasn't here last week. The guys that had those gifts and skills and ability, you know what I would have done? It's hot out here, you guys. Can I get you some water or go to Casey's for you or something? You know, just go away, go away. It's good. We do what we do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for D.M.I.'s heart. Thank you for his call, but we more importantly understand he's just a man, just like the king was just a man. We thank you for you. We thank you for the work that you do, for the moving upon our hearts, for hearing our prayers, for allowing us to be a part of the ministry. You don't need any of these things. You could have built those walls yourself. You brought Jericho's walls down. You could certainly bring Jerusalem walls up. You could have made all the other nations weak and feeble and be afraid all the time. But you put a little pressure you made it a little harder. And for the sole purpose of people getting to be a part of it, to putting their hands to the labor, to putting their hands to the work. And what a blessing that was for all of them to look back at the wall, to look back at the city, to look back at this temple once it's built and know that God used them in whatever way to do that. And so God, our ears are, are perked and our hearts are open. And we want to do whatever you call us to do. We want to do it wholeheartedly unto you. We, we really want to say in our hearts, here we are, send us. Do with us what you will. We want to be available to you, like Nehemiah made himself available to you. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, enjoy the, another sunny day.